Hello, everyone. We are so excited to have you listening to Obsessions and Confessions, where we not only hope to educate on the topics of mental illness, such as OCD and other anxiety-related disorders, but you'll also find here some hilarious, exciting, touching, and just plain real non-sugar-coated experiences. I, Callie, am a licensed clinical social worker and OCD specialized clinician. I'm also a distance runner that competed in the 2020 Olympic trials in the marathon. While obtaining my PhD, I'm focusing my research on mental health of collegiate and Olympic athletes. And I'm Katie, an ordained minister and clinical chaplain specializing in the intersection between faith and OCD. I'm also an ultra marathon runner tackling 50 ultras in 50 states to raise funds and awareness for OCD treatment. While obtaining my doctor of ministry, I'm researching what it means to reimagine OCD treatment as a spiritual practice. We are both mental health advocates for the International OCD Foundation that have walked through our own experiences of suffering with OCD, but we found freedom and hope to share that freedom with others. Just as a reminder, content may be triggering for some listeners as our episodes do involve mental health related topics. This podcast should not be used in place of therapy and is solely meant to be entertaining and educational. Whoa, we are here with Obsessions and Confessions, and man, am I excited. We've been waiting to get this recording started, waiting to be here with you guys. We have so many fun things in store for us to talk about over this season of episodes. Uh, So I'm Callie. And I'm Katie. And and yeah, we are just so pumped. We kind of got the idea for this at the last IOCDF conference where we were presenting together on this happy couples talk. And we realized, wait, this is this is super fun. And we have so much that we want to share, so much that we want to share in terms of confessions and also obsessions on our OCD journey. And we're just excited to be on the ride with you. Yeah. And, and I wanted to say, like, I got expired inspired, not expired. (laughs) (laughs) She's expired. (laughs) I got inspired when people told us at that, that talk that we did, Katie, that we were so funny. I was like, ha, take that to my husband because he doesn't think I'm funny. And I think we were absolutely hilarious. And so, yeah, I think we are funny too. And it's funny because I always get the same thing with Ethan. Ethan always tells me that I'm way less funny than him. So this is like (laughs) such an inspirational thing of (laughs) we are funny. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we are. So we will have this podcast and it'll be the funniest thing ever. And then we'll, we'll be able to say, see, told you. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think we're just going to um, do like a brief overview of both Katie and myself to get us started. And then uh, I think it's important for you to know your podcasters uh, journeys quite a bit. So we will do some fun facts as well. And uh, then we'll have more structure coming to you for upcoming episodes this season. But let's just start off, Katie, why don't we just jump in and and walk down each other's paths a little bit with our OCD journeys? Do you want to just give a few snippets of what that journey has been like for you? Yeah. um, So it's it's always so interesting because um, it's it feels like this is this journey has been forever, which I, I think so many people can can relate to. I've navigated OCD since really before I can remember, but didn't know that it was OCD. And and for me, so much of that always related to um, a core fear around what if I'm a bad person and wanting to make sure that every single thing was okay for everyone around me to the point of coming home from kindergarten and confessing worries to my mom and making sure that I did everything right because I thought I was keeping the population safe. I mean, really intense stuff for a kid. Um, 
but I really pushed it down for for most of my life. I was really good at at masking. Um, was very high achieving, but internally was really suffering. I was really good at ruminating without anybody knowing. And um, for me, ultimately, things started to get really bad when I was in seminary pursuing ministry. And for the first time, I had this sense of um, maybe I should seek treatment. Maybe I should get help. Um, I didn't know exactly what that looked like at this point, but knew enough of that um, driving back to churches in the middle of the night where I was serving and spending eight hours instead of sleeping, checking the parking garage to make sure everybody was safe probably meant that I needed some additional support. Um, And my mentor in seminary in grad school kind of told me, um, well, you can't do that. You won't be able to pursue ministry. You'll fail your psych evaluations. You're up and coming in ministry. Please don't let anybody know. Um, So I felt so much shame and really continued to shove down what I was experiencing. Um, And when I ended up in my first big role in ministry, I was um, in a school chaplaincy role with 2,700 awesome kiddos from different faith backgrounds. OCD hit me head on, as it often does. It latched onto everything important to me, um, particularly with work I was doing around grief and loss, where I started to blame myself for tragedies that were taking place. Um, and the long story short is that I sought treatment for the first time, very much because I had to. Um, I hit rock bottom, but also was very fortunate to learn about ERP, to learn about the evidence-based treatments that we'll talk about in this podcast. And coming out of that experience, wanted to start sharing my story because I had so many students from different faith backgrounds that weren't sharing about their own mental health journeys, that weren't seeking help because they felt so much shame in their faith communities. So I started sharing, I started advocating, and fast forward a few years, um, my whole life is faith and OCD and scrupulosity and kind of supporting this intersection. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. That shame is so deeply driven, especially into our generation. I think the generations up and coming will have, um, hopefully, a better platform to deal with mental illness than we did and than those before us. But it's like we're still working through some of that shame even today, right? Like, And I think that's – I love that you say that it, it's so cool to pour into those that – are thinking about advocacy because that is a huge way to heal some of that mm-hmm. guilt and shame. Because, you know, I started off really hiding my OCD too, especially when it came to um, starting uh, to work at a residential OCD um, yeah. facility. And I was really afraid to share because I thought that meant, well, why, why would they let me treat patients here if they know that I have mm-hmm. OCD too? And then a little bit at a time, sharing because I didn't share all my story all at once. All I got was just, and I know this doesn't happen for everyone. And and I was very fortunate to have this response, but just like, oh my gosh, you experience you experienced yeah. it too. Like that gives me so much hope. And um yeah, so it just really untangled some of that shame that I had initially been feel, feeling and still to this day it's still getting untangled. Oh, I, I so I, well, and very much like you, I do. I feel so fortunate because I know that's not everyone's experience. But I was so fearful that people wouldn't respect me as a chaplain or as a minister, and it was such the opposite. I started hearing from families 
okay, we can actually tell you what's going on now. And how do we have these conversations with our priest, our rabbi, our imam? Um, And similarly for you, I, I just think, you know, you offer folks so much hope to be in the position that you're in of supporting people in their OCD journeys and also being open to uh, and open with your own struggles and, and your own treatment and letting folks know that there is this beautiful life ahead that OCD doesn't have to define it. Um, so I would love for you, if you want to tell us a little bit more about kind of how you got here and the awesome work that you do now, but really how your journey led you to this place. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, I, similar to you, started experiencing OCD when I was really young, um, undiagnosed, a lot of scrupulosity, that religious-based form of OCD where you fear if you do something wrong, God's going to be mad at you. And so I I think as young as like three years old was going around the house, tapping my nose, saying, sorry, God, mm-hmm. sorry, God, sorry, God, because I felt like maybe I could have lied about something or done something wrong and God was going to let my nose grow like Pinocchio's. Oh. Um, and so that was kind of the first symptoms. I did some hand washing at one point. Uh, and all of this stuff when I was really young just went to quirkiness, right? Um, mm-hmm. I remember uh, my parents having a lot of empathy for me when I would come home the first time I came home and, and learned what some cuss words were. And I said, I thought one of those cuss words. Um, and I was- so, I used to do that too. <laughs> it was so guilt ridden um, and just carried that guilt everywhere I went. Um, and then I, I remember- convincing myself that this was a really interesting one. We know OCD gets really creative, right? And so I convinced myself that I will never forget we were uh, at a shopping mall, a pretty busy shopping mall. I was with my mom and there was someone in a wheelchair that we walked by and I convinced myself that I stood on their foot um, and that they were going to be crippled longer because I stepped on their foot. And my mom was like, Kelly, how could you have stepped on their foot? They were in a wheelchair. And I, you know, OCD doesn't make sense, right? Like it just creates this big elaborate story. And so all of these things um, kind of came to a head for me when I was in college. It got really pretty, looking back, debilitating when I was in high school. I had a a lot of success in my sport in my small town. And so with small towns and success in anything, word gets around, right? And so I felt a lot of pressure to succeed for my town. And um, that was pressure that I put on myself, but OCD decided that that was the best way to respond and cope. And so I did all of these just right behaviors, a lot of magical thinking type of OCD symptoms, um, superstitious behaviors. And in college is when it got to the point where I was completely debilitated, just terrified to leave my room. And and luckily this was over Christmas break when it just hit that all time low. Um, So it's probably one of the worst months of my life still looking back. Um, But I was home and my parents saw how much I was struggling. And so they sent me to um, therapy. And I will say that that therapy journey for me, like probably many listeners, um, was not a straight line trajectory. It was a while before I got the appropriate evidence-based care, not as long as it is for some people. So I'm still grateful, still seeing the silver linings, but um, when I did, it was life-changing. And so that led me to switching my career path of initially wanting to be a sports reporter or news reporter um, into the desire to be a clinician where I get to work with uh, patients struggling with OCD and anxiety-related disorders every day. 
I always forget that you wanted to be a sports and, and news reporter because that was me too. We have we have so many overlaps. Oh, yeah. which, that's why uh, we're so funny. <laughs> it's, it's, yes, it's going. It's coming out. It's all the things. But it's it's always whenever I hear you talk, I always want to be like me. Too. I think there's so many aspects of our story that are so similar and um, very. You know, I heard you talk about the person in the wheelchair, and early on, that was one of my first things when I was. Um, in third grade, I had an aunt who was diagnosed with cancer and who was was really, really ill. And um, she eventually passed. And I thought it was the first person that I thought their death was my fault, which became a theme for me throughout my life. But we had been on a car trip and I thought I had accident. And I don't even remember what it was at this point, but I thought I had accidentally kicked one of her medical devices and that it had led to her death and that it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time, you know, I was serving in a school chaplaincy capacity, I would literally pass if there we had a student that was on crutches, I would pass them in the hallway and get to my office. And did I kick them? Are they laying in the middle of the ground? I know our listeners can relate to all of these oh, yeah. things. <laughs> well, should we get into some more get to know you questions now that we've laid the baseline of our stories? These are just more fun, you know, exciting, humorous, just all the things. Because I do think in this podcast, we have a mission to share yeah. the realness of OCD, but also the realness that it doesn't have to be, right? Like the <laughs> totally. humor, excitement, joy that you can still experience. Uh, and for me, I, and I am assuming for you too, Katie, anytime I can add humor to a OCD compulsion that I used to engage in, it's healing. And so I do yeah. want to say we're not but in any shape or form, Mm-mm. making fun of our compulsions, no. but it, it's a way that we heal to be able to say, wow, yeah, I used to do that. And I could see the irrational, irration of it then, but yeah. now I can, I'm like five steps removed from that. And so I'm able to laugh a little. Yeah. I, I think humor is such an important component. And like you, I always tell folks, like, I'm not laughing at the disorder. I know we all have thoughts about that and have pain because of that. But I think being able to yeah, poke at some of the ridiculousness of the spaces that I've been with my OCD, adding levity to it um, is so important. And I mean, I do that with folks every day, and I'm sure you do as well. And and I wonder if before we even shift into those questions, I'd love to hear, and maybe this is just selfish, I would love to hear more about kind of what your day-to-day professionally looks like and, and what that looks like to have um, OCD and navigate OCD with others. Yeah, for sure. I uh, sometimes I have, I will say, like a, a moment where I get this kick to my gut feeling because someone is suffering with something similar than what, you know, similar to what I did at, at one point in my life, um, or maybe still have intrusive thoughts about here and there now. It's, it's pretty rare because we know that OCD, gosh, is just so creative. So it can <laughs> across the board. Um, have a bunch of different ways that it manifests. And so it's pretty rare for someone to experience something like very similar to what, what my OCD thoughts were telling me. Um, and so in those moments, sometimes I feel a little bit of anxiety too. I will admit, you know, it, again, few and far and in between, but it's not like anxiety of, is this going to come back for me? Which probably yeah. I will say was the case when I first started being a clinician, because just like any exposure, um, you know, starting to work with individuals that have the same disorder as you do, it it was an exposure when I first started. And I would say the amount of times that I got triggered or uh, anxious by someone started to stretch out further and further and further. And now the anxiety comes more from a place of 
just like, oh, I hate that they're going through this right now, uh, especially for, for young kids. And I recently got the reminder from a good friend, uh, Liz Mackingville. She, <laughs> I was talking about working with young kids and just that um, sadness that I get yeah. when they're experiencing some of the things that I walked through. And she gave me a great point of, well, I didn't see a therapist for this until I was 21. And I know others much, much later, right? And these kids, as soon as they start getting these triggers, they're in our door in our office. And so like how much pain um, and like how much we're able to validate that this is not an uncommon thing um, and healing that they have gives me a lot of peace. And so that's, that's probably something that I would say I'm working through more now, but more than anything, it just brings me so much life to be able to say, um, wow, I could be like a small snippet of this person's journey towards getting that life back that they want. And obviously they're the ones putting in the hard work. I'm just pointing them to the right tools, but it's so full circle for me, especially when it's someone younger, because I am like, oh, I get to be that person for you that I needed. Um, and my, my favorite thing of all, my last piece nugget is that when I was suffering and at my worst, I kept telling myself, you know, there, there's one person that I'm going to be able to help from this. And I know that if I get to help that one person, it'll all be worth it. And like, how cool and ironic that I get to do this every day now, right? Just mm-hmm. help, whether it be through advocacy, talking podcast, you know, or seeing a patient one-on-one. Uh, it's just, I would obviously never wish OCD on anyone, but how cool of a silver lining to see that that whole pain into purpose thing is really being carried out. How about for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so it's so interesting because I I um, resonate with so much of what you're saying, and I, I work in a, a different capacity. So I, I always like to tell folks I am not a clinician, but I'm a faith leader who happens to know a lot about OCD and and loves. I, I really love working on cases, kind of on the chaplaincy side, and helping both clinicians and individuals navigate what's faith from what's OCD, and how do we develop exposures in a culturally responsive way, and. I think um, for me, ugh, I love so much um, the work I do, and I'm going to try not to get emotional. But when I think about even as recent as as 2019, I felt so much shame talking about my own journey with with OCD, um, and to be able to very similarly be in a space where I can make a difference for folks and, you know, thinking about my own journey where I felt like I couldn't even as a minister talk about these things in faith communities to be sometimes the first faith leader for, for folks that they get to say, I'm experiencing this. And for me, not in a reassuring way, but in an affirming way to say, it's okay, you're not alone. Like we can step through this. It's just the biggest gift in the entire world. And um, I get off a lot of support groups that I lead and actually will get really emotional, not in a sad way, but in a happy way of, wow, um, there is this space that um, I didn't have, but I am so grateful that I get to be a part of creating for other people to um, embrace uncertainty, to actually turn from prayer as compulsion to prayer for strength in the midst of really hard things. Um, and that's such a gift. And I, I'll say for me, I, I was racing um, a really long ultra marathon this weekend and had gone into it after a pretty tough week with my OCD. Um, and 
the entire time I was racing, I was actually thinking about the work that I do and what I ask people to do every single day, which is to take a leap of faith um, in favor of moving toward their values, regardless of what OCD is saying to them. And um, I had this pretty profound moment of getting frustrated and actually crying during my race and <laughs> feeling like I was physically um, taking my intrusive thoughts out of my pack and throwing them down on the sand, knowing that I couldn't finish the race, like continuing to carry all that I was carrying. And um, as I was doing that, I was thinking, I have to do this because this is what I ask other people to do as their leap of faith every day. And um, I'll say that I feel so inspired getting to do this work and it holds me accountable to continue to do that work in my own life. So went to and gosh, crying and running an ultra marathon, that would be an all new kind of heart, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there was yeah, there was some 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 yelling, some crying, some all, all the things. It was it was um but it was it was one of the beautiful thing. I love we can experience the full spectrum of emotions. Yeah. It was one of the most beautiful races I've ever experienced. And it was also mm-hmm. one of the hardest and carried some of the deepest emotions. And um I think that's you know, in light of this podcast, some of what we want to bring is both levity and, you know, the real realities of this thing called life and OCD and all of it. So on the levity side, um, I want to get into, I, I at the end of kind of each episode, we're going to be doing some rapid fire fun questions that as we get a little bit further in, you all are more than welcome to plug in and, and ask us things that you would like to know. Um, but we just want to do a little bit of sharing right now so you get to know us a little bit better. Um, so I want to start by asking you, Callie, if you have just a fun, unique fact that folks don't really know about you. Yeah, um, I will start off with, I have harm OCD. And uh, so if those are listening that aren't as familiar with the subtypes, the harm OCDs, where these intrusive thoughts come up about harming yourself or someone else. And again, someone with OCD is not likely to engage in any of these behaviors. It's quite the opposite. These um, behavior or the thoughts cause extreme distress and a desire to avoid things like sharp objects or driving a car or um, being around loved ones. And so I still get a lot of these intrusive thoughts. So let's just, um, now that you know the snippet of what harm OCD is, think about that. And then I also love true crime. Like <laughs> I listen to true crime uh, every single day, probably. And there's so many better things I could be listening to. And I, I will say I have a healthy balance with it, right? So if it starts to get dark, I have to spread it out because then you can just <laughs> go into work feeling a little bit heavy. Um, so don't get me wrong. I do have a healthy relationship with it, but there's uh, obviously something to say about terrible things that happen, but I just think I'm so fascinated with the way people's brains work. And I also think a reason that I really love true crime is because there was a point in my life where I absolutely would not have been able to listen to it, right? Like I would have been ruminating, wondering if my brain was the same as someone else's brain that was, you know. Um, so it, for me, it's a little bit empowering to be able to say, wow, I can listen to this and enjoy it now when five, 10 years ago, there's no way I would have been able to do that. Like OCD took that away from me. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of basic on that regard because I know a lot of people are really into true crime podcasts and things like that, but love getting scared. Um, when I know that I'm safe too, like I would say like a haunted house, good. I I wouldn't love to get scared unexpectedly, but (laughs) that'd be my fun fact. What about you, Katie? 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I want to piggyback on that because getting scared. Well, I also have harm OCD, which, um, you know, for a very long time for me, watching particular movies or listening to true crime, yeah, actually was really either um, challenging for me or became compulsive because I would start to compare myself and say, oh, can I prove that I'm not like any of these people? I mean, all of these things. Um, and it's so interesting to be at a space now where I actually really do <laughs> love true crime, love um, pretty much every possible crime show on TV. I mean, all the things, but particularly love um, getting scared, like you said, when you kind of know you're safe, but haunted house environments. Um, one, of, one of our mutual friends, um, Emily Bailey, and I have a yearly retreat, I guess I'll call it, to um, one of the scariest haunted houses in Georgia. And it's like, we look forward to literally screaming our heads <laughs> off for two hours while we're getting chased by people with chainsaws, which sounds sounds strange, but is, is somewhat enjoyable. So I guess that's, that's one for me. I, I really weirdly like getting scared in kind of fun ways. And the other, um, I think a lot of folks know that I like pink, um, if you follow along with any of my platforms, but maybe don't know why I like pink. And the reason that I wear so much pink and that I kind of have pink on everything is that it was my um, my favorite color as a kid. And um, when I got older, I felt like because of the intensity of my intrusive thoughts, particularly around harm OCD, I felt like I wasn't deserving of wearing something that was cute and made me happy. So I stopped wearing or doing anything with pink in its entirety. Um, I actually at one point cut off all of my hair and which is completely fine if that's something that's, that's, um, you know, true to you, but that was not true to who I was. I started wearing completely neutral colors, which was not true to who I was um, and um, refused to wear anything that, that made me smile. And actually, when I started going through ERP, my biggest exposure became giving myself permission to do things that um, allowed me to laugh and smile and experience joy. And that became wearing pink. And now pink is my consistent exposure color. I love that so much. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of individuals listening that probably can relate to that OCD took something away that they used to find joyful. And then you're absolutely right. Like that joyful thing getting put back into the picture is definitely an exposure. And at first it's a bittersweet exposure. That's my favorite way to label it, yeah. right? Because there's a part of you that's like, oh, I enjoy this. I love it. But the other part is this is anxiety provoking. Um, but I always like to say it's bittersweet until it's not because then you keep powering through and then it just becomes sweet and something that yeah. you love and enjoy. Um, so yeah, well said. I love that. Okay. So what is one future dream you have unrelated to career? One future dream. So I you grew up um, next to a family that was full of like professional water skiers and wakeboarders. And so I would literally go home, throw my backpack, jump in this boat and I wasn't great at it, but I would wakeboard and just loved it. And so I have a dream to one day at some point own a Mastercraft ski boat because that's the one that we would go in all the time. And let me just preface because I know buying <laughs> boats is not the, the most uh, financially wise decision. I am totally okay if this boat is like 20 years old, as long as it still runs. Like I, I but I need it to say Mastercraft. I am not one to what is it? Um, be really into certain de designer 
things. Um, but when it comes to my boat, I will be very much so. And there's nothing wrong with liking designer things, but I just don't have too much of a preference unless it's my future Mastercraft boat that I will be getting that <laughs> probably runs um, every other day. But every other day is all I need. That's all I'm asking. Love that. I kind of love that. That's awesome. <laughs> How about you? Yeah. Um, so, so for me, um, it's my goal is to run. Um, it, this is this has actually been a dream of mine for a long time, and now it's tied back into kind of OCD work. But my um, dream is to tackle fifty ultra marathons in fifty states before the age of fifty. And now I'm doing it um, to raise money for folks seeking treatment for OCD as well. Um, but completely separate from OCD work and from career. This is, this is something for me that just brings me so much joy. I've always wanted to see the entire country and probably similar to you, Callie, my favorite place to see everything is running. So it's this just beautiful thing that every single race I tackle, um, if folks follow along with me, I try to pick the most random possible races in really obscure parts of states because it is just such a joy to me to be able to see all of these things while running that I wouldn't normally get to see. What number are you on now? So this weekend was number, um, it was number five for fundraising, but it was number, technically number six, because I had to do South Carolina twice. So. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Okay. You are so, in the track. And then um, I think I'm going to do it's going to be out there now for the world to hear. So I have to do it, but I, I want to be like my first ultra after Houston marathon this year. So we should, we should look at overlapping if we can. I would love that. I, I have my next race um, on tap in um, let's see, May in Georgia. So if you Ooh. want to come stay here and we can <laughs> new house by then. I think we will. Um, it will there, there's a, a longer conversation around that, but we should be. So okay. I would love to yeah. have you come stay with us and we can race an ultra. Oh, so me too. Me too. to Ethan, be determined for our listeners, it sounds really exciting. <laughs> yeah, Ethan, your husband may have not told you this yet, but he told me that Tyler Werner, my husband, and I already have a room with our name on it. So you I, do. I'm happy to send the nameplate. You don't have to get it. Like we'll just <laughs> <laughs> super exciting. Uh, okay, next question is, Katie, why don't you start us off with one thing you are currently working on in therapy? Yeah, so um, this is a big one for me. It goes back to core fear forever, but I'm, I'm actually working on being willing to risk being a bad person while stepping forward with my life. Um, this is a thing that's really hard for me. It was something that related to what was kind of plaguing me during the ultra marathon this weekend. And um, it every single little whack-a-mole theme that pops up for me kind of relates back to this. And um, it's it's really, really hard. And, and I think for me, that means, you know, not consistently ruminating, checking in on people, making sure everybody likes me. And, um, you know, if I follow my values and folks are not completely thrilled with me, being okay with that. And even me saying that out loud um, is horrifically scary. Um, and yet it's something that um, I know I'm taking baby steps forward with and that I really want to continue to to work on. So, uh, love that. How, how about you? For me, I mine's twofold. So one that I'm kind of always working on, but again, like there will be weeks where I don't even think about this, um, is some false memory stuff. So I struggled in the past with ruminating a lot about false memories. You know, uh, that's where 
you picture something happening and then you start to question if did that thing really happen and what does that say about me? And it's obviously a thing that you don't want to happen or that's completely against your values. And so there are times where life gets stressful for me and those false memories like to rear up and I can catch myself on a loop. So that would be kind of my ongoing exposure that I have to do every so often when life is stressful and just remind myself, yeah, I'm not going to play with this content because if I play with it, then I'm going to get even more uncertain. uh, And it's just against my values altogether. So that's part one. Part two, I think often some of us might find that when our OCD gets to a better place, we can get some more generalized anxiety, you know, just the, almost like the, I like to describe it as the obsessions without the compulsions. And so um, I, think like just about every day about my, my dog dying, my dog that has been with me through some really hard things in my life. So she's almost like a sentimental piece of my life too, um, for those reasons. And she's healthy. She's happy. She's going to be going strong at least for another four or five years, if not more. Um, so I, I, I definitely know that this is something that I need to work on. It's not, super healthy. Um, and it takes away, you know, from enjoying in the moment. So yeah, it's like literally every time I squeeze her tight or just, you know, look, look at her, that thought comes up. And, and so I'm just trying to work on being a little bit more present and enjoying the now, um, so that I don't have to look back and regret any of that later. So yeah, those, those are my two big things that I would add. Um, and I, I also wanted to just say to those listening, it's no secret that Katie and I are both still doing some of our own work, right? Because we know that OCD is a chronic mental illness and like life is hard at times, right? We Mm -hmm. have big challenging things to face and OCD tries to take that over here and there. And so for me, I know the tools that I need to do. And it's not that when I go to therapy, I learned this aha new thing about ERP. I know what it is, but for me, what's really helpful is One, having a perspective from someone that's outside that inner circle, right, of even just with processing difficult things that have nothing to do with OCD, but then two, the accountability I get for, I know she's going to ask me if I did that exposure. So uh, yeah, I don't know if Katie, if you wanted to say anything about that. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I think it's, it's so important. I mean, I really, my journey, um, the first time I moved into recovery, with treatment, I kind of walked out and was like, okay, I don't have to do anything for my OCD ever again. I'm cured. This is it. And I've realized that is not a helpful approach. And we know that there is no cure for OCD, but that you can live a really big, beautiful, awesome life with OCD. And I think the way to do that is every single day recognizing, okay, I have OCD and I need to use my skills and my tools and continue to work and take steps forward. And and that's the approach now that I take. And it OCD is definitely not in the driver's seat of my life anymore. And I work really hard to keep it out of that space. But it means that I am doing my own work on things like I talked about. And even it's interesting, you mentioning your dog. um, There are things with my cats right now around that too, actually, (laughs) that I think of every day that that I'm working on. I think that whenever there's a moment where you and I have something we don't agree on, like we just need to take a moment of silence. Maybe (laughs) 30 seconds. It's like, I always, every time we talk, I'm like, me too, me too. Um, but it's just, yeah, I want folks to know there is no shame on continuing and continuing to work on these things. And for both of us, I think it's what 
gives us um, the space to live the beautiful lives and experience joy in the ways that we that we do. Absolutely. Um, we got two more questions here, yes. and then we'll give you guys a sneak peek of what's to come. But first, this is one I'm really excited for. Uh, Katie, why don't you tell us about one of your biggest pet peeves? Yeah. So um, one of my biggest pet peeves, which actually took place many times during my race this weekend, is when you are running a really long race and there is still quite a long distance to go. And you have someone who is very well-meaning on the sidelines cheering, telling you that you are almost there while you're in excruciating amounts of pain. Um, (laughs) Lies. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I am not almost there. Like, what are you, t- unless it's like a quarter mile from here, don't tell me I'm almost there. Um, I had somebody tell me I was almost there and I had 17 miles to go. And I was like, that's, I don't know if that's almost there for you. That is not almost there for me. Um, and I always smile and continue running. But I think especially when you're in, and I'm sure you can relate, in that much pain during a race, the level of frustration for me when someone tells me I'm almost there when I am not almost there <laughs> is really high. Okay. I know I'm not your therapist, but I have a great exposure for you. <laughs> Next thing this is said, I wonder if, what if, what if you were to say like, no, I'm not. <laughs> not I love that. <laughs> I'm not almost there. Lies. <laughs> I remind okay. me of those like drama moments in TV where people are like, I am not okay. <laughs> I actually love that. And um, after my next race, we'll have to recap. If I do that, that's, okay. that's like kind of awesome. Yes. I we think have you have a podcast so listeners can hear too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think you have a similar running one potentially as well, um, but pet peeves for you. Yes. So first one uh, is people walking in lane one of the track. So for those of you that aren't runners, because we don't expect all of you to be runners, we love you very dearly for listening, but please just don't walk in lane one of the track. Like we have a new track at Memorial um, in Houston and it's beautiful. And we have a run group that my husband and I do on Wednesday nights and the run group put in the text message, Hey, we should, we should meet at Memorial track. And the track just opened a day ago. And, uh, my husband responded with, we will literally get banned from the track. If we run at the track, the first day it opens because Callie will start telling people get out of lane one, raising her voice. And I was like, Oh, he's not wrong. <laughs> so, That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. That um, would be- I actually, I'm so glad that you make it known. Cause that really is, especially if I'm doing like speed work, there's always the person who not, it only isn't walking in lane one, but decides to like walk across through lane one really slowly while you're trying to come around. And it's horrific. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree. Um, Okay, last question, and then we've we've got an announcement or two to make. Yeah. So one future dream that you have tied to your career, what is it? Yeah, um, so I'm working on this right now. It's in, in progress, um, but I, I want to create a virtual inclusive community related to spirituality and, and faith for people of all religious and spiritual traditions that are navigating OCD to be able to lean on one another and seek support from one another. Um, and it'll be called stick with the ick. Um, I am in process with that. There's a long way to go on that. Um, and hopefully that will kind of begin soon, but, um, the really long-term goals kind of will come down the road, but, um, it's something that I get so excited about even talking about to kind of create, um, this virtual space that I didn't have in my own journey. Um, so, yeah. And I'm just realizing that running a podcast is like 
writing a vision board because it's out there. And so then you have that extra accountability. So yeah, that's so awesome, Katie. I can't wait for that. It's like people know now. Okay. So let's get your accountability piece. What is your future dream tied to career? So I, mine's still a little bit murky, but I obviously love working with OCD and anxiety and I love working with athletes. And so I want those worlds to combine in a little bit of a more clear way. uh, And I'm just not sure exactly how yet. So I'm doing things with both worlds, obviously. And sometimes they come together with patients, but I want like a, a roof for people to be able to come and, you know, make it a little bit more specific. So stay tuned. We will have more ideas of what that looks like in the future, but we did want to jump into some um, quick announcements. So we have future episodes coming up uh, that will be released. And I think season one will be a total of about 12 seasons. So, or sorry, 12 episodes. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be talking about some things that you guys, our listeners have requested. So Taboo OCD themes coming your way soon. Um, We'll have getting stuck, ruminating, mental compulsions, exposure moments that we're proud of and funny exposure experiences. And then like an embarrassing trigger one. That one's going to be so fun for us to talk about. Uh, But please go ahead and just remember that you can leave in, in the comments some things that you'd like to hear about. We are all ears wanting to listen. And the most important thing for you to do after today is leave us a review because that's how... This podcast will get out there. Um, we are not only doing this because we love seeing each other talking about really fun things, but we really do want to raise awareness on what OCD anxiety is. Um, and there's still a long way to go with that. So please comment, mm-hmm. share, do all the things. Thank y'all for being with us today and we will see you next time. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and share with someone you know. Those reviews mean the world. As you spread the word about our podcast, you spread the word about mental health awareness, and that is what being an advocate is all about. We so appreciate each and every one of you and can't wait for next time. Finally, if you have topics you would like to hear, don't forget to leave them in the comments or send us a DM on Instagram at CallieWerner1 or at RevKRunsBeyondOCD. We love to hear from our listeners. Have a peachy rest of the week.